Uh, just this week, um, I was really considering like how much, uh, you know, things have changed you know, as, as I look back on my life and, and I feel like uh, it's getting easier and easier to kind of date myself. So I'm at 41 years uh, old right now and, and so many things have changed. Like uh, I remember when you were going to go visit somebody uh, and you wanted to go to their house, like now you can pull out your phone and you just, you don't even have to type it in, honestly. You can just be like, hey Siri, take me here. And literally, like, it pops up. Uh, but I remember before that, there was, like, MapQuest. Anybody else want to date themselves and acknowledge that they did? All right. MapQuest, yeah. Uh, and so you'd print it off, and you'd have your turn-by-turn directions. You know what was before MapQuest? It was, like, head out on Highway 14, go 2.4 miles, look for the yellow barn, take a left at the oak tree, um, and look for the big swing. Like, like, that was the directions. And so, so much has changed. Um, shopping has changed. I remember when I uh, was saving up for my first bicycle with the paper route. Uh, and I wanted a better bicycle, you know, to be able to do the paper route better. Um, and I had a choice between a couple different bicycles. And, and the one that I remember most was at Fleet Farm. Um, and it was black. It was a Murray uh, with, like, green electric lightning bolts kind of like going over the whole bike uh, and I remember like saving up and like super excited to be able to go and and buy that bicycle and you just bought it and if it was good it was great and if it was bad you're kind of oh man I made a bad choice in what I bought now there's reviews for everything like everything has I, I we've been like in Target looking at a blender should we buy this blender or not? Hold on. Let's look up it on Amazon. What are the reviews for this blender? Oh, wait. It's five cents cheaper on Amazon. Let's just order it from there. Uh, maybe not five cents. But we look at reviews for everything, and, and it's getting to a point um, where even the reviews that are online, it's hard to trust because, you know, people put up fake reviews. People put up, uh, there's this knife uh, on Amazon. Uh, it's a Wenger Swiss Army knife, and I think we got a picture of it. It's seven pounds, um, has almost anything you, you might need. Uh, but then there's, here's some of the reviews for this. The only shame is that the unicorn toothbrush does not operate properly when it's used the same time as the parachute. The next one, uh, I tried to file my nails... But in the process, I accidentally fixed a small engine that was close by. It was nice. So far, I've only opened about half the attachments on it, but I taped it to a Roomba, and it's been going around my house making small repairs while I'm at work. That would be great, right? I just get the Roomba to, to head around and fix everything. My favorite, though, was this one. I received this knife as a gift for my 18th birthday. As soon as I touched it, I grew a mustache and became a Navy SEAL. <laughs> so obviously, these particular reviews are, are not anything that we would take seriously uh, in regards uh, to this knife. But, but some other reviews for other products, like is from the company itself, and you have to check and make sure that they're valid or accurate. There's even a website out there now called FakeSpot where you can, like, take the web address of the Amazon thing that you'd like to purchase. Uh, and then you go to this website and it tells you, like, how accurate are the reviews or does it seem like a lot of them have been generated to try and, and draw interest. 
So what does this have to do with today? Uh, today uh, talks about in our passage about testimony and actually talking about something, uh, a testimony about Jesus. Uh, and he talks about how different testimonies come from different places uh, and what that value is. Uh, and so it's something we kind of relate to uh, in the way that we do shopping. But we're going to be heading into John uh, chapter 5, continuing on in our series, uh, The Word. Verse 31 is where we're going to start in chapter 5. Uh, but before we do, let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning. Uh, we thank you for your holy word. And we pray that it would be alive and active to us today. That it would dive down deep. And that we would absorb everything that you have for us today. And I pray that you would guide my words. If there's things that I should not point out, that they would um, just fall to the floor. Right, Father, if you want to guide us and lead us, I pray that you would speak to us clearly. Uh, even if we have a time at the end for how you've spoken to us as a church through this passage, I pray that you would speak to your church. Lord, I pray that you would help us to recognize the truth uh, of testimony and that we would hold to what is true. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so John chapter 5, verse 31, uh, just to kind of remind you of the context. We've been there for the past couple of weeks. Uh, again, Phil was here last week. He did a standalone message on prayer. Uh, but what we've been going through in chapter 5 uh, is this story of the pool of Bethesda. Uh, where there was this man who was an invalid for many years and he was sitting there and waiting for the water to be stirred. And uh, probably about three, four weeks ago, we have that message and, and all the different implications of that. Jesus ends up healing the man. It was a Sabbath. Uh, and so that started this controversy with the religious leaders at the time. Uh, and then coming out of that has been this whole conversation between Jesus and the religious leaders uh, where he's actually been saying, uh, I'm God. And they were so offended by that. And Jesus continues to press in by, by talking about how God's still working on the Sabbath. And so he's still working on the Sabbath. That, that he's able to give life and life eternal. That he is the one that's going to judge. And, and so they're sitting here and listening to this. And then Jesus continues on in verse 31. He says, if I alone bear witness about myself, my testimony is not true. And so I just want to pause there. And Jesus is not saying that his words are false. But rather, if he's making all of these claims about him being God, that he wants to have these other testimonies brought in in order to say some of these other things. And that's where he's going to go on through this passage, uh, is pointing to other testimonies to the claims that Jesus is making at this moment. Uh, he's talking about something that's supernaturally revealed. Uh, and so he continues on in verse 32. There is another who testifies about me, and I know that the testimony he gives about me is true. You sent messengers to John, and he testified to the truth. I don't receive human testimony, but I say these things so that you may be saved. Now, what he's talking about right here is where he, I don't receive human testimony. He's not, I don't accept Human testimony. What people say about me does not establish who Jesus is. He is God. 
He spoke all things into existence. He's, he's speaking to them right now and saying that he is God and he's not refuting their claims that this is what you're trying to blaspheme. So he says, no, this is what I really mean. And so he continues on here and saying he doesn't need other people's affirmation and the things that, be it bad things that people say about him, won't impact who he is. And so he doesn't accept other human testimony to establish his identity. But then he says, I say these things so that you might be saved. In other words, Jesus doesn't need the testimony of John or the testimony of God the Father. He doesn't need the testimony of other people in order to establish what he is saying is true. Because it simply is true. But he brings these out. He says, I'm saying these things so that you might be saved. To the religious leaders. You're the ones that want testimony. You're the ones that want to corroborate things. So I'm saying this for your sake. Continues on in verse 35. John was a burning and shining lamp. And you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. So again, he's pointing out to the fact that the nation of Israel at one time held John the Baptist to be a prophet, and a messianic prophet at that. They they listened to what he said. They were getting excited and believed him. Uh, People were heading out to be baptized, um, but then that would later change. But you were able to rejoice in his while in his light. But in verse 36, I have a greater testimony than John's, John the Baptist, because of the works that the Father has given me to accomplish. These very works that I am doing testify about me that the Father has sent me. These very works that included uh, the invalid by the pool being healed simply by Jesus saying, pick up your mat and walk. And it happened. The very miracles where Jesus would walk on water, where Lazarus would be raised from the dead, where he would spit into the dirt and make a paste and rub it into a man's eyes and he was able to see. These very things testifying to Jesus being who he said that he is. Jesus continues through the passage. We don't have time to get into all of it this morning. I encourage you to read it, but he talks about the Father. He talks about Scripture testifying to Jesus Christ being the Messiah and all of the claims that he's making at this point. But there's two things uh, that I really want to focus on this morning. Uh, And both of them stem from Jesus being our example here on earth. He was here, he was fully God uh, and fully man. And the way that he lived in following the Father is an example to us as well. So the first thing for us uh, is that Jesus did not receive or accept testimony and glory from people. Again, Jesus knew who he was. Fully God, fully man, fully approved by the Father. And the opinions of others, the accolades or criticisms of others, did not change who he was. And because of that, he lived out of his purpose, his identity, and the mission that he was on to do the Father's will. For us today, we need to take this example uh, and cling to it within our own lives. To use this as an example to imitate. Paul writes it this way in 1 Corinthians chapter 4. A person should think of us in this way as servants of Christ and managers of the mysteries of God. Just what he establishes. This 
is the way that we should think of ourselves. And this is the way that others should think of us. As servants of Jesus and stewards of the mysteries of God, as stewards of the gospel. If you're here this morning and you have been forgiven, your sins are forgiven, you've been adopted by God, you've been saved through Christ, you're a new creation, this is now your identity, a servant of Jesus and a steward of the gospel. That's now the foundation of who you are. That is that simple identity that all other things need to be weighed and measured by. And and so Paul continues then in verse 2. As a servant of Jesus and a steward of the gospel, in this regard, it's required that managers or stewards be found faithful. It's of little importance to me that I should be judged by you or any human court. In fact, I don't even judge myself. And so what he's saying here is, okay, if your identity is a servant of Jesus and you are a steward of the gospel, the only thing you need to do in that is be faithful and follow on to God. And then Paul goes on to say that that then he doesn't receive this judging by other people. Just think about that for a second. How well do other people know you? Now, granted, there's a spectrum of that. There's some people in this audience that I've spent some time with. We've known each other for years, and, and I know you a bit, but I don't know what you're actually thinking right now. Do you like what I'm saying? Do you not like what I'm saying? Like, that can mess with a person when you start thinking that way. Maybe you're thinking about lunch. Now you're thinking about lunch. Maybe I don't know you at all. So I can't perfectly judge you. Not the way God can. The way that God fully knows all of the intentions of your heart and and his grace and his love and his mercy loves you anyways, forgives you anyways, saves you anyways. He knows who you are, your intentions, your attempts, your failures, all of that. And that's what his judgment matters. But as far as another person, they don't know the whole story. They don't know everything that's going on. And so when they lift you up with their words and affirmations, we like the way that feels, but it should not establish who we are. Somebody comes up to us and, oh, you're such a great speaker. That shouldn't establish who I am. Who I am is a servant of Jesus and a steward of the gospel. And I just want to be faithful to that. If we put too much value in the affirmation of other people, that can start to construct our identity. And we start leaning on that and coveting it and desiring it. And then next thing you know is we're just trying to be people pleasers, trying to get affirmation from other people. And that can lead to pride. And look how great that I am. Look how much other people like me. And then when somebody doesn't like us, or somebody changes their opinion of us, that whole structure that we've built out topples, and we find ourselves tumbling down because the thing that we trusted in actually wasn't in our identity in Christ, but rather what other people thought about us. On on the inverse, people can tear us down really easily. And say mean things, accusations, 
stab us in the back. Um, they might just be having a bad day and just speak out of their own attitude. And in that, if we take what they're saying and we accept those things as our identity, it undermines and we create this false sense of identity that, that really is low, that's really demeaned. And, and, and oftentimes then we can start loathing ourselves because we believe what other people say. And then we start living that way. Again, that is not the truth. In Jesus, as adopted children, we are servants of Jesus and stewards of the gospel. This is what we hold to. So, we can't then accept or allow the testimonies of others in our own life to establish our identity. It needs to be established in Scripture. Now, now what about ourselves? Like, like, we think that we know ourselves better than anybody else because we know what's going on in our head. But, but yet, how great are we uh, at assessing actually where we're at and how we're doing in things? Again, we can lean on either side. We can, we can lead towards arrogant pride. Look how great I am and everybody else should think the same way. Or... or we can lean on to this self-loathing, uh, I'm just a failure mentality. Or teeter-totter between the both of them. Our judgment of who we are is not perfect. It cannot be perfect. And yet we try to do it. We try and create this identity or this structure that we lean on in order to establish who we are and our identity. Uh, we'll take tests for it, Right? Uh, we've got the uh, introvert, the extrovert, uh, you know, ENFP, you know, if you're familiar with those types of things. Um, there's the, the Enneagram with the uh, seven with the four wing. Anybody know what that means? I, okay. I have no idea. Is seven with a four wing even accurate? No? Okay. <laughs> But it sounds like it. Like, there's all these different tests that we can take that'll say, well, this is your personality, this is your type. And some of those things can be helpful to inform the tendencies that we have. But we can't take those and say, okay, well, this is who I am. I'm an extrovert. And so, therefore, I need to always be reaching out to people. I'm an introvert. And therefore, it might be our tendency, but we can't allow those things to establish what our identity is. That's so why Paul goes on here to say, I, don't, I can't allow others, people to judge me or establish my identity. I can't even judge or establish my own identity. Uh, verse 4, I'm not conscious of anything against myself, but I'm not justified by this. It is the Lord who judges me. And so what he's saying is, as far as I know, I'm in a right standing with God. And so I can't allow myself or others to judge where I'm at with God. It's God alone who judges me. And we have to be careful with this verse because uh, this is a verse that has been taken out of context. Uh, it's a verse that people tattoo onto themselves or put onto their Facebook page that says, God judges me. Nobody else should. And, and what they really mean by that is mind your own business. I'm going to do what I want. But that's not what the passage is saying here. It says, it is the Lord who judges me. But it says then in verse 5, don't judge anything prematurely before the Lord comes, who will bring the, to light what is hidden in the darkness and reveal the intentions of the heart. And then praise will come to each one from God. In other words, yes, God is going to judge. 
And, and so you can't use that phrase as a free pass to do what you want and get other people to leave you alone. Because our establishment out of what is judged is through Scripture. And as a church, that's what we're called to do, uh, is to use this as a mirror and examine ourselves and, and really truly say, okay, how does God look at us? How does He see us? Who does He say that we are? What is my identity in God? And then if we're living outside of what He has called us to be, we need to change and step back into that. If we are leaning on the opinions of others or ourselves instead of what God says about us, we need to repent of that change and come back to what God has made us to be. We looked at this uh, when we are talking about the passage in uh, chapter 3 with Nicodemus. The whole concept of being born again, being a new creation. We are now something fundamentally different spiritually because of what Jesus Christ has done. And so what I want to do this morning is go through a number of different passages. I'm just going to kind of paraphrase some of these. We don't have time to, to read every one of them, uh, but I've got the references down if you want to mark those. Um, but again, this new life in Jesus. While we were sinners, in Romans 5, it says, while we were sinners, Jesus died for us. Romans 8, to free us from condemnation. Those who are in Christ Jesus have no condemnation. Now, I, I think just these two verses can be very abstract to us at times. While we were sinners, Jesus died for us. Uh, Ephesians chapter 2 says it this way. While you were dead in your sins, Christ died for you. And, and then we become this new creation. I think where we get this mixed up at times, again, is our concept of our identity. We look at this and say, well, here I was before Jesus, and, and I'm a sinner. And we acknowledge our destination is hell. We're, we're unsaved. We need Jesus to save us. So here I am, a sinner with the dirt of the world on me. Uh, and through Jesus Christ's life, death, and resurrection, my sins are forgiven. Through his blood, we're cleansed. Uh, we're put on a robe and a ring. And now I'm over here as a son or daughter of Jesus Christ. And, and there's truth to that process. But what I think we don't grasp is then we're sitting over here acknowledging, well, this was me as a sinner, and now over here, this is me as a saved, redeemed son or daughter of Christ. It's much more drastic than that. Uh, in the past, I've talked about this idea. You know, the different illustrations of what reveals that. The idea of like you've got this uh, caterpillar. And a caterpillar is like this big chunky, fat, wiggly worm that, that just eats and poops. I literally, that's all a caterpillar does is eat and poop. Um, every year we try and capture like some of the little uh, monarch eggs and they're like really, really tiny and then they hatch uh, and this really, really small thing comes out and it just eats and it poops and it grows and it eats and it poops and it grows <laughs> until it gets you know, to a decent size. It forms its chrysalis uh, and then there's this transformation into a butterfly. And, and it's an illustration of, you know, one thing transforming, and it still doesn't capture, I think, the way Jesus has transformed us. 
I, I think more drastic would be like if I, I take my shoe and, and it's kind of dirty and grungy and a little smelly. <laughs> I forgot about that. Uh, it's got some stink from the world on it. The shoe's also man-made, right? <laughs> like, like this is something that we took some of the things that God gave to us and we put together and created something. We, we're in the image of God and so we can reflect his creativity in creating things. And so shoes are an example of that. But, but this is something that, that we've created the same way as our identity in sinners. That was a creation of humanity of Adam and Eve sinning and rebelling against God and then us choosing to follow along with it and create our identity based on our own desires. That was out of our creation, in a sense, rebelling against God. But if we take my shoe, and I don't want to put it back up here, but if that shoe would then transform into a butterfly, I think that more accurately depicts what God has done in us. He's taken something that we tried to do on our own that ended up being stinky and smelly and reflecting the world and through his death on the cross transformed it into something that is alive. Spiritually alive for all of eternity and reflecting him. This is the miraculous nature of what he did. We are fundamentally different when we come to salvation in Jesus Christ. That's where the rest of these verses come from. Uh, in Luke 15, it says that there's parties in heaven when sinners are saved. There's a rejoicing that happens when people are turned from shoes into butterflies. Like, like these two passages are, are parables, and what Jesus is saying is like you've got this woman who lost a coin in her house. And she's like ripping her house apart trying to find this coin. And she finally finds the coin. What does she do next? She calls her neighbors and says, let's celebrate. And I find really interesting about this is that she finds this coin and she's looking for it because she doesn't want to necessarily lose that thing of value. She finds the thing of value and then she spends it in order to celebrate with others and rejoice over that. We look at now the example of Jesus Christ and, and here God looks at us and sees value and desires to have us come to salvation in Him and to spend eternity with Him in heaven. And He's willing to pay for it. So He sends His only Son down, pays the highest cost in order to save us. And then it says, celebrate when we come to that salvation. I mean, just... Imagine this in heaven. Like, like here Jesus is sitting up there, seated right next to the Father. You've got all of these angels, and they're watching people's lives as the Holy Spirit works within them. And they're sitting there, and they're watching, and they're like, okay. They're starting to realize they can't do this thing on their own. They, they, they realize that they need to be forgiven. And they're watching that step by step. And, you know, oh, they're, they're coming to that point of humility where they just simply acknowledge that they're done with themselves and they want to submit their whole life to us. And then heaven erupts in praise and a party as people come to salvation. Again and again and again. There was a party in your name when you came to salvation. Scripture tells us that literally happened 
Have you ever acknowledged that? Like when I made Jesus my Lord, he celebrated over that. That's how much he values you. He continues on. Not just are we saved in this. Uh, 2 Corinthians 5, we're new creations in Christ. Ephesians 4 tells us that this new creation is after the likeness of God. Philippians 3, we're citizens of heaven. Ephesians 2 says right now we're seated in heavenly realms with Jesus Christ. Even as we sit in these wooden chairs here in Rock County. Seated now in heavenly realms. John 15 says that we are friends of God. Friends of Jesus. John 1, Romans 8, Galatians 4 all say that we are sons and daughters of God through salvation, that we are heirs of Him. 1 Corinthians 6, we're temples of the Holy Spirit. 1 Peter 2, we are royal priesthood. Colossians 3, we're His chosen ones. Ephesians says we're blessed with every spiritual blessings in the heavens in Christ Jesus. Matthew 6 and Philippians 4 says He takes care of our needs while we're still here on earth. Zephaniah 3 says that God joyfully sings loudly over us, that He exalts over you and then whispers over you as you sleep. This is His love, His desire, and His care for you. 2 Corinthians 5 says that we're the righteousness of God. Also His ambassadors. Romans 8 says when it comes to distress, persecution, danger, famine, or sword, that we are more than conquerors. Ephesians 1 says that we are His inheritance and special possession purchased through the blood of Christ. We are saints, soldiers, and the bride of Jesus. This is who God says that we are. This is God, the creator of all things, that spoke all things into existence, that chose to rescue you out of death and sin, washes you, and then he says, this is who you are. This is the testimony in Scripture of what God says you are. How does that compare and stack up to your thoughts about yourself or others about you? It should pale in comparison. And as we see these things, what life would we live if this is what we anchored our identity on in all things? And we just walk with Christ as stewards of the gospel as servants of Jesus. The opinions of other people would not matter to us. Our judgment about ourselves, we would just turn to Scripture and say, what does God say about me? The lies of Satan cannot change these things. Uh, there's a passage in Zechariah um, where he's, like, he's having this vision and uh, Satan is bringing up a high priest uh, to God to accuse him. And in that moment, uh, God says to Satan, who are you to accuse the one that I chose to bring out of the fire? Who are you to try and diminish this one that I chose to rescue? And it's the same thing for us here today. Who are we to diminish ourselves or to allow other people to diminish us or the lies of Satan to diminish us? When God has rescued us, when He's made us clean, 
when He's given us a, a value that we could never attain to ourselves. It's not anything that we did by ourselves. It's not anything we could have earned. It was simply given in grace through Christ's life, death, and resurrection. Which brings us to our second thing. The first one was uh, that we should not take or accept the testimony of others or ourselves to establish our identity uh, the way Jesus would not accept the testimony of others. Uh, The second thing is that because Jesus knew his identity, who he was, he stayed on mission. And he followed continually to do the works of the Father who sent him. Same thing for us in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. It says, we are his workmanship. We've been created. We've been spoken into existence. Uh, He knit us together in our mother's womb. He has saved us, put us into a a new creation, created in Jesus Christ for good works, which God prepared ahead of time for us to do. Uh, Again, these works are not to try and earn salvation or earn God's love, but, but rather, out of God's love, He saved us, and then through salvation, now has us to do works the way that Jesus was doing works. For the purpose of bringing God glory and revealing the light of the gospel to the world around us. These works are not for our own glory, but to glorify Him, to reflect Him, equipped by the Holy Spirit. Uh, John chapter 15, as Jesus is saying, if you just abide in me, you'll produce much fruit. You'll shine this light. John the Baptist, in our passage this morning, was referred to it this way, uh, um, where he was that burning and bright light. Matthew 5, then, says this about us. You are the light of the world. A city situated on a hill cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket, but rather on a lampstand and gives light for all who are in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. Through Jesus Christ, life, death, and resurrection, He made us to be lights. And, and we've got these lights shining down, and I don't see any one of them necessarily sitting there and saying, okay, shine! Let's put all this effort into shining. The light just comes forth. It's the same thing for us. We don't have to strain to reflect Jesus. We just need to abide in Him. The times that it feels difficult to us is because we've accepted false identities either from others, from ourselves, or Satan's accusation. And and so we don't feel like what God says that we are. And so then it feels difficult to reflect Jesus because we also feel like a failure. We also feel like we're too weak. We're not strong enough. We're not wise enough. All those things are not what God says about us. We accept those things, and then we feel like we have to be a light, and it's all just contrary to each other. And so it's a tension. But it's not hard to reflect Christ. To reflect Christ, we abide in Him. We accept what He says about us. And we just choose to live that way. And we find ourselves slipping back into an old identity. Nope, that's not me. (laughs) Let me reflect Jesus. As we do that, we are bright and burning lights before others. This works that will happen will happen simply because we abide. And it's the work of the Holy Spirit that provides the fruit, not us. And we just glorify our God in heaven.
That goes back to our simple identity. Servants of Jesus and stewards of the gospel. And all we have to do is be faithful. Let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning. Uh, We thank you uh, for the truth within this passage. We also humbly acknowledge that there are many times uh, when we may accept things that are not true. We accept things that uh, are contrary to the identities that you gave to us, that Jesus died to purchase for us. Uh, And Lord, we ask for forgiveness for those things. We pray that you would help us to, to be humble, to have you work within us, to choose to accept the truth of what you died to give us, to walk out of that identity, uh, not for our own glory, but for yours, to be those bright lights in the world, to be on the mission uh, that you have equipped us to be on. We thank you for the opportunity to be able to do this, to point others towards you. In this dark world that is lost, that is heading towards hell, we just get to be the light that will draw others as well. Let us not do it by our effort, but to recognize that it's done completely by what Christ has done. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. My life is yours. I belong to It's one thing um, to acknowledge that these things are true. Or we can look at Scripture. We can go through a whole list of these things. Um, and, and it's another thing. Angie, you want to come up? Uh, as I came back um, into worship, uh, my wife had something she felt like the Lord put onto her heart, and I thought it was a, a really good thing to acknowledge and consider in light of this message and, and just looking at the truth of who God says that we are. So what the Lord had put on my heart is that it's one thing to know that something is true, but it's something different to believe it. And um, we might know who we are in Christ according to Scripture. We can, we can know these things and say, yeah, I know that, or, oh, that's good stuff, or whatever. But it's a whole different thing to believe it and to have it permeate your life and and everything that you are, your identity, and all that comes out of that. And um, I just want to suggest that if you are finding yourself returning to shame again and again or to sin over and over again or in a place where, um, where you are always looking for the approval of others, uh, that maybe there are places in your heart where you haven't quite believed this yet. And the enemy always wants to make us think that belief is a feeling, that if you feel like this is true, then that means you believe it. But that's not what belief is. Belief is a choice. It's what we put our hope and our trust and our, what we choose to say, yes, this is what I agree with. And so if you're in a place where you've been struggling, and even if you're not, I love that um, this song that we just sang. I just know the Holy Spirit led you guys to to choose that because what I was saying to Josh too was, um, you know, it's the Lord who examines our hearts. Like, like just as His passage said, um, and that He went into so much. Like, we're not looking for other people to tell us who we are. We're not even looking for ourselves to say like, oh, I'm good because I do this and I do that. 
but for the Lord to examine our hearts. And so just inviting God and asking him, Lord, examine my heart and show me where, where do I have a lack of faith and where do I need to believe this more? He's so faithful and he will show you. And not only will he show you, but he'll help you. Because just like the guy who said, um, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. He, he receives that prayer. And I think that, um, you know, he kind of set up a, a pattern for us or a, a structure where, um, I don't know what passage this is, maybe you do, but he says, um, confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. This is how we're saved. And this is, I think, what we just need to keep repeating over and over again. We, c- we confess with our mouths his truth. I am a child of God. This is who I am. I am righteous. I am redeemed by the blood of Christ. This is who I am. We declare it with our mouths and we believe it in our hearts. We choose it. We say, yes, I choose this and not that. It doesn't matter what my mom said about me when I was growing up, if she, um, you know, was cruel to me or what kids at school had said to me, um, you know, and bullied me or or what I see reflected in the faces of other people and what I tell myself. Um, All those things I say no to. And yes, I choose to believe I am a child of God. And so I, I think that it would be really good today, before you even leave here, ask the Lord to examine your heart and declare with your mouth the truth and choose to believe it in your heart. And I think that if you want to do that in worship and just declare it out while you're worshiping, that's awesome. If you want to pray with somebody, just like, you know, when, when we invite people to salvation, like I think as a church we need to continue to invite each other to, I, we're here for each other, let's pray together. I, I want to declare this together. And when you confess it with your mouth um, wh- in the presence of somebody else, there's something really powerful about that, that really... Um, outweighs all those lies of the enemy. When you hear your own voice speaking that out and choosing to believe it, there's something really beautiful about that. And so I'm, I'm just going to be in the back. If you want to come and pray with me, you are welcome to. If you want to pray with the prayer team or anyone else, um, or if you want to just speak it out while you worship, sing it out, that's okay. Don't worry, no one's listening. <laughs> Except for the Lord. All right. Well, let's continue in worship. Um, And like Angie encouraged, we got the prayer team in the back. If you struggle with this, um, this accepting of who this is, um, or even if you've had wounds from the past uh, that affect your identity, that have been spoken into you. Uh, I loved how she pointed out parents can do that to us. Friends can do that to us. Bosses can do that to us. Uh, We want to pray with you as well. So... (coughs) It's worship, let's declare it out, and we'll be back in the prayer too.